0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And uh, we've got a uh, another good show for us today. And we're heading into the weekend. I hope people are getting ready to have a nice weekend. I will uh, salute uh, my old friend and our producer, Uh, Noah Dingley, who's off today because he's having a long weekend. So good for him. It's great uh, for him to get away, although we miss him as always. Uh, we got some great guests. We will have uh, an interesting guest, an an organization called Parents Defending Freedom. Excuse me, Parents Defending Education. I got that wrong. Parents Defending Education. Up. Her name is Nicole Neely. She'll talk about what's happening with education and what's happening with parents rising up. Uh, We're seeing some uh, coverage of that. I'll mention it later on in the program. Uh, The Washington Post actually came out with an edit- an op-ed, which I didn't read the op-ed because it's behind a paywall, and I refuse to pay for the Washington Post. But what uh, uh, the summaries I got of it and the description I got it and the headline is that they support um, school vouchers, money following the students. And uh, it's kind of an interesting thing that that would happen. And we'll also talk with our old friend, Professor Felipe Coelho. Uh, he's got a piece up uh, that is um, in uh, Postal Magazine, P-O-S-T-I-L, uh, about... Um, the Euro-Chinese Redux, and it's about uh, Viktor Orban and hung- Hungary and uh, what's going on there with uh, China. So we'll talk with him, an expert on international affairs who worked uh, with the Trump campaign and then with the Trump uh, White House also. So uh, we'll get to all that. But first, what do you really need to know? What do you need to worry about? What do you do? Uh, what do you need to think through about what's happening? There are a couple stories that I don't think have gotten a lot of attention. One of them is political. And so I'll talk about that a little bit. I'm trying to get him on the show, uh, and that is the campaign in Ohio of a guy named J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is running for U.S. Senate in Ohio. The seat has been vacating vacated by Senator Rob Portman, and Rob Portman is retiring. So there's not. So there's a primary, and there'll also be a general election too. But there's a primary. And this J.D. Vance, his Twitter handle, by the way, is at J.D. Vance 1, at J.D. Vance 1. And he is being, gosh, he's being attacked in all the right places. He's being attacked uh, on MSNBC, Morning Joe. They went wild on him. Let me get his, he wrote the book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. You may remember that, Hillbilly Elegy, which was a wild uh, runaway success about his life. He grew up in in one of the Rust Belt towns in Ohio and uh, wrote about, he went off, I think, to Harvard, a uh, Yale, and he went off uh, about and he went off to, to college and came back. And when he started to um, write about that experience and it became a bestseller, he he spoke a lot about what they what I would what would be described demographically as the white working class, and he got a lot of attention for his writings on it. But anyway, he's being attacked in all the right places, and he's being described by some people who I trust. Uh, Ryan, excuse me, Ryan Godersky, I always say his last name wrong, uh, who is a great writer on this. And he's written some books on this subject of of American nationalism, populism. And so he's being attacked on Morning Joe. He's being attacked by the sort of Republican establishment. He's getting attacked, J.D. Vance is on all sides. So what's he for? What is it he's for? Oh, CNN has a big hit piece on him. They're kind of everywhere. And the great thing is he's very active on Twitter. So he jumps in and kind of uh, defends himself and he kind of mocks the people that are attacking him, uh, which is really funny to see how quickly he does that. Uh, Washington Post had a hit piece on him. um, And so his populist message, what is it? Well, he actually came out and this I thought this was really helpful. Um, There has been a resurgence in the last uh, two weeks three weeks of the old Republican sort of talking points on, you know, we're going to we're for uh, tax cuts and we're for, um, you know, kind of uh, the old, uh, sta- you know, established Republican lines that you should say we're going to cut taxes, we're going to reduce the burden of, of the regulations and all that stuff. And, it, and for a guy like J.D. Vance, he looks up and he's like, um, OK, we've got Elise Stefanik, a moderate Republican congresswoman, saying that. We've got Nikki Haley, a moderate uh, former governor, saying that. And his point is, that's not what we need. What we need is we uh, we need to go at the policies that will dramatically change what's going on. And he's what he's J.D. Vance attacking fundamentally, one of them is immigration. One of them is immigration. One, one issue that he says we've got to do better on. But the other is trade and the sort of set up. Of the big business uh, kind of monopoly—that's the wrong word—the big business markets in this country that are, by their very design, you know, uh, not uh, going to take care of we the people. That by their very design, they're going to maximize profits, and the and the companies that are operating them are going to do the same thing. And he is decrying things like the uh, the change, the stagnation of wages. Uh, the, 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 end, the gutting of towns and cities, uh, small towns and, and cities, small cities, uh, by loss of manufacturing jobs. All the kinds of things that you have heard, but he's very focused and he's very effective. And because he comes from that world, meaning he grew up in Ohio, he wrote a book on the subject, it's very effective. It's very effective. And I will tell you, the phrase that I think that will also, and this will pivot into my second point, that it will also work, uh, in, that will make a point... And be powerful at the same time in the next election cycle, is the following phrase: "Drain the swamp." That a guy like J.D. Vance, who's being attacked by all the people that are knee deep in the swamp or neck deep in the swamp, that are that make a living off of it, that are kind of uh, regulars on the circuit, that are you know the even the. Um, National Review types that are sort of been around forever. But more importantly, all the people who's living and whose lifestyle is maintained by the swamp, they they will attack somebody like J.D. Vance. And there's no emblem of that that is better than what is the ongoing, should be mega scandal of, of Hunter Biden selling his paintings for $500,000. Now, I admit little knowledge of... Art the uh, and the art world I, I will I will confess to some knowledge of art especially uh, you know uh, Renaissance art and I've spent some time in different places I understand enough about it but I do not know anything about the art market so if someone said well a really good painting by a, a you know a a um, an American painter. Can go for a million dollars. I wouldn't know. I don't think so. But I wouldn't know. You know. Or they say you know you get a a Georgia O'Keeffe. It's going to go for five million dollars. I I just don't know what the market is. But I do know, and now we've seen coverage of it, that Hunter Biden receiving five hundred thousand dollars for one of his paintings. I believe the coverage has established that he started painting a couple of years ago, maybe. Um now, I think he came and he went to rehab, and when he came out of rehab, a lot of times people will find an outlet in something they're doing some exercise or some hobby or habit, and so maybe he really did get into spending a lot of time painting. It does make you wonder a guy in his early fifties who has the time to paint a lot means he's got enough wealth and again it's pretty clear Hunter Biden got his wealth from his proximity to power, his father but but we actually have the White House putting out statements. And establishing an ethics policy for how they can handle uh, the how they can handle the uh, uh, the the reality of the first son selling his artwork for five hundred thousand dollars. And how do you do that, right? Because it's pretty clear if you're able to call up Hunter Biden and say, hey, I was hoping to buy one of your things. I'm going to spend half a million dollars. You, you know, it's not it's not quite like buying a car where you sign it and drive it off. You probably get to hang out with the, the, uh, the painter and you probably expect to come and see them and you get some interaction. And obviously, Hunter Biden has shown his laptop, which is established as true, has um, made it pretty clear that it's... Um, it's he is a guy who knows how to uh, utilize his position. Let's say that. And so and that's so common. I mean, remember, uh, there's there's people like uh, Peter Schweitzer who wrote he's over at Breitbart dot com and other places. He's written a couple of books on this about how swampy the swamp is, how, you know, uh, the, from the Pelosi's to the and the Republicans do it, too, by the way. All these people in power, somehow they come to Washington and then they get really rich. And they come to Washington and their family gets really rich. And that kind of mindset, I just got to think, it drain the swamp is going to be more powerful than ever. And, you know, remember Donald Trump gave a speech. I've told the listeners over and over again. Donald Trump gave a speech in... Um, in uh uh, excuse me didn't give a speech gave an interview in october excuse me in november of 2016 boy i'm struggling struggling today uh november of 2016 after the election and one of the reporters from politico as i recall said you know i can't believe you know when you did these big rallies people really reacted and they were really moved by it and you know blah 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 and he said you know they said what was the most surprising thing to you and he said that late in october 2016 he used drain the swamp for the first time and he couldn't believe the response and he went and used it again, and he couldn't believe the response. And he said the power of that was just so striking that he was like, wow, I, I don't know what to do with this. And he kept trying it out just for about eight or nine days, 10 days left in the campaign. And the the point here is Trump is no fool. Trump is a guy who knows language. And at that period, he was doing rally after rally. He he had a rhythm and a feel for the response of the crowd. And he is saying, hey, drain the swamp, really, well. like build the wall, like lock her up. Drain the Swamp, he said, was one of the most powerful. And my point is, it hasn't gotten less powerful. And whether you're talking about J.D. Vance, a first-time candidate who is clearly not of the swamp, and him being attacked by the swamp, or you're talking about Hunter Biden, boy, drain the swamp, more than ever, is what we need. I think it's true. But it's also how we feel, how we feel. And I think people are, I think you're going to see that play out. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we've got some great interviews and we'll wrap things up as we head into the weekend. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And it's time to catch up with our friend, uh, Nicole Neely, who we talked to a few months ago and talked about her organization, Parents Defending Education, and it's DefendingEd.org. We're just laughing off the air. DefendingEd. Sounds good. DefendingEd.org. So uh, welcome back, Nicole. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, you're welcome. And so, first of all, I, this week I've talked a number of times on the show uh, about um, the teachers union, the news that came out this week. The teachers union, one of the larger unions, I think there's maybe two of them, that AFT and NEA, but uh, um, they had their one of their big meetings and they started out by saying that they were going to... Um, Fight for critical race theory and fight anyone who was against it. And then they rescinded that and said, sorry, we didn't mean that. We're going to be nice to everyone and ha ha ha. And they kind of moved on because they got bad press. Um, But Washington Post uh, earlier today, early early Friday, it was Friday or Thursday, had an op-ed that said they would support school choice. Pretty stunning, actually. Um, What's what are you what are you feeling? And when you're talking about education and what's happening, what's going on on the ground
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a mess and it's really interesting to watch the teachers union kind of flail because for a while, you know, we were all being gaslit and told it's not being taught in schools. It's a complex legal theory. And then they turn around and say, we're going to send a bunch of money. This is great. And so it's really I'm kind of getting whiplash at this point. But, you know, I think what I always try to remind people is there are great teachers out there. There are bad teachers unions. And I think what we're seeing right now is bad teachers unions that are power hungry, that are money hungry, and they have every other priority in the world except for our children. And I think people are starting to realize that they're getting really fed up.
0: Well, and so they're getting fed up and we're seeing uh, coverage of uh, Loudoun County, Virginia and a different a couple of different places. There's lots of talk and lots of people saying run for school board. There's recall campaigns happening across the country. Um, the danger, I feel, and one of the reasons why it's important that you're there, your organization, and again, we're, we're talking to Nicole Neely and the organization is Parents Defending Education and DefendingEd.org, is how do you stay focused on the right problem? And um, for example... It feels like sometimes we'll get the school board in a place, and you'll read about it, to back off on one thing. And everyone will say, yes, yeah, see, we won. Uh, transgender bathrooms, let's say. And they say, okay, we're going to do something different than we were going to originally do. But the fact is, the people on the school boards are coming at this from a different point of view. A lot of them are really put there by the unions and put there uh, by the movement against, I think, parents and kids And people go and say, oh, we did well, we beat that back, or we changed that, and it's still going on. And my example would be critical race theory is horrendous, but so is the curriculum for 25 years in most of these schools. And are people going to follow through enough to to really get the change that we need?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it reminds me of that saying um, by Thomas Jefferson, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Just because we win these little discrete skirmishes doesn't mean we've won the war. And I was talking to a coworker who um, has worked on school choice for many years, and she said, after the Janus decision a couple of years ago that, um, you know, said right. you didn't have to be in right. a union, and union dues, I th- one thing that the NEA spent a lot of money and they sort of redirected was um, to try and get elect NEA members onto school boards. And that's why we're seeing a lot of these school boards act against our will. And so I think, you know, the, it, I, hate, I hesitate to say that, you know, there's a silver lining to COVID, but I think it really drove home for a lot of parents What the heck has been going on under our noses for, you know, for the past forever? Um, And so I think people are sort of awakened to the fact that this is a threat. Um, And I think it's also, you know, with all the lockdowns, people are starting to realize local governments and state governments have this massive amount of sway over our day-to-day lives. I think many of us have just focused exclusively on Washington, D.C., me included, for the past 15 years. But at the end of the day, we really, if we care about our children, if we care about our communities, we need to show up at the school board level. We need to show up at the city council level and not let these bureaucrats get away with murder. And that's why they're starting to fight so hard. And they're calling us, you know, AstroTurf and roll right wingers. Um, no, we're just a lot of parents around the country who have seen what's going on, gotten really angry and are not taking it. And they they don't know what to do with that.
0: We uh let me and, and I agree. By the way, Nicole Neely. She, I should have said earlier, president and founder of uh, Parents Defending Education, and also has worked in a, a number of places on these issues. And her organization, which people should check out, defending ed defending ed uh, to find out more. A national uh, organization, grassroots focused on reclaiming the schools, um, and especially it's it's different than the organization is different. I think it's important for people because you're saying reclaim the schools. It could be for school choice. It could be for the school boards. It could be whatever it fits the local. Community community. Um so Nicole back to your answer there. Um I, I think you're right about if there's one if there's one silver lining about the COVID, it's that everybody had to sort of take a shock look at things they were doing, you know, their work life, commuting and and then especially schools, other things. Um so but we haven't seen Big change yet, have we? In fact, what we're seeing now is the conversation about next school year sounding a little bit like a year ago, which is like, well, we may come back, we're going to have restrictions, we may do some people, we may vaccine testing. I, it is where's the maybe you're going to say it, politics, grassroots politics is is messy, so it's happening in different ways in different places. But, you know, is there, um, is there, uh, are you optimistic that we're moving in the right direction and sort of give us uh, a pump up on this?
1: I am optimistic because I think there are a lot of people who just have never been involved in local politics. I mean, I think so many conservatives I speak to, you know, they haven't gone to their school board meetings or their city council meetings because they've been busy building businesses, going to church, running Girl Scout troops. Um, But we are realizing now that the bad guys have been showing up and they have been running the tables on us. And so we're starting to see, you know, school board elections are held at weird times. They're off cycle. They're often very hidden the incumbents don't want you to know or definitely don't want you to challenge them but people are realizing hey wait a minute this is my money this stuff is being done to my kids in my name how dare you and so we're starting to see people even we have a tip line on our website we get about 100 to 200 tips a week most people say they want to be anonymous when they submit tips but sometimes we'll follow up right. and we'll say hey can i connect you with a reporter and i think we're starting to see the tide turn because people are realizing you know what if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And so we're starting to see people. That's why all those viral videos of parents speaking at school boards are, you know, they're making around because people are drawing inspiration from others. There is strength in numbers. We have thousands and thousands of people across the country who reach out to us who want to fight back. They're getting off Facebook, getting off Twitter, showing up and making a difference. And so I think we are only starting to see the tide turning, but it is going to be amazing
0: yeah again we're we're talking with Nicole Neely, her organization is defendinged dot org and parents defending education Here's one question: a lot of people want to do something now right about what's going on. They feel a lot of frustration and and maybe because the media you know is in the, and 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 social- social media and even big tech feeds this kind of uh agitation is what I call it, but they want to do something now. Can you are are people doing something? I've always wondered about this. Could can people locally find out their Sunshine Law or their FOIA Law and and sort of do, ask the right questions? Is that a move? I see on your website one of the useful things is the indoctrination map, which is really clever. You can click on it, uh, bore down on this, and you can see in your area, your state, school districts, what they're doing, the parental organizations. But is, is that FOIA is that FOIA movement? Because that drives bureaucrats crazy if somebody asks for information in the right way they have to respond you are right yes
1: it is a terrific tool and it's something everybody should know how to do so we have a guide on how to file FOIAs and different state laws we have a guide to different state laws about that as well but everybody should know how their tax dollars are being spent and you're right it does drive people crazy actually the Rhode Island State Superintendents Association is trying to change the state's sunshine laws because they don't want people knowing how they're spending our money um But everybody should, yeah, file the FOIA, get the information and share it, publicize it, figure out how much did they spend on these equity consultants when districts had less money to work with last year because so many of us pulled our children out of public schools, put them in private school or homeschooled them. You have less money, yet you're still turning around and spending money on consultants that are ginning up a lot of hatred and division in the schools. That's interesting. That's a story. And this is happening in red states. It's happening in blue states. It's happening in private schools and parochial schools. And so... We really should know what's going on. And so I, I urge all of your listeners, yeah, file the FOIAs and then pass the tips on to us because I think there's right. a misconception that much of this is only happening in California and New York. It's not, it's everywhere. And so let's expose it so then we can fix it.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think you're right about that. And, and, and people tend to, sometimes they, that's another thing they do. They do something and they don't know where to send it or where to do it. I'm looking on the website. Where's the tip line? Where, tell me that tip line or how to get that on here because I want to put that up on social media too.
1: Sure. It's, um, if you go to um, get, uh, yeah, on the, on the website, it's up in the right corner. Yep. There's join the movement. And then oh, got it. Okay. Yep. And incident. Yeah. So, oh, yeah I got gotcha. you.
0: Yep. I see send, it now. Yep.
1: Yeah. Send a hyperlink, you know, Great. whatever you know that's going on in your school, patch.com, anything, because um, then we'll get it out to other people.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's what you're finding. And you just said something about it. It's not California, New York. In fact, uh, a good friend of mine's down in Florida. You say, well, it's a red state, pretty red, you know, and he's in a pretty red county. Turns out his school board had all kinds of things going on. It was exactly what he said right under their nose. All right. Uh, listen, thank you, Nicole Neely. Uh, thank you for coming on again. And again, the organization is Parents Defending Education, defendinged.org. We'll put all this up on, uh, on social media and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And great to have our old friend Felipe Coelho, a professor of public policy at the Pontifical University in Santo Domingo. Uh, he's been very active in the Republican Party as a policy leader, uh, worked on the transition team for the Trump campaign in 2016 into 2017, and has worked all over the world, has co-authored a book with our great friend Ted Malik, which is Trump's World, uh, which was out in uh, January 2020. And he's just a very good guy. And he's got a piece over over at um, The Postal, Postal, which I didn't know this site, ThePostal.com. You can correct me on that, and I'll I'll talk about them in a minute. But the title of it is very interesting to me, A Euro-Chinese Redux, The Curious Case of Victor Orban. And so, first of all, welcome, Felipe, back to the program. How are you? Thanks for having me, Ed. Good to hear from you again. So,
2: um, Orban...
0: The Postal, okay, good. And the Postal, a, there's good. A good I... uh,
2: there's a good little story for that. It's something to do with the uh, notes that the monks would put in the uh, edges of their study Bibles. That's what a Postal is. Oh,
0: yeah. I right. see it now, actually. There, I'm Mr. looking Moore, at it. That's... Man,
2: that's yeah, a, uh, tell me. There was a big vote. is the is the hidden, uh, what is it, the buried lead in that story. There was a big vote yeah. in Brussels on uh, human rights and whether or not to put some sanctions on the Chinese. And uh, the defector, which is the technical term uh, for uh, game theory for these kinds of situations, the defector in that vote was um, Hungary, and so mm. it uh, it does it, it raises some questions that the uh, other 26 European countries would all vote the same way, and uh, Hungary would veto that particular uh, thing that was being voted on in that moment. And um, so I, I, I go through the permutations of uh, Exactly whose interests are being uh, defended there, and as mm-hmm. usual, we find that our uh, German allies aren't as good allies as we wish they were
0: <laughs> as usual is exactly right. Uh, we're talking again with Felipe Coelho uh, on this one I was a little I'm really interested. Orban, as you say, was the loan it was it's like the security Council at the UN and so if somebody vetoes it, it knocks it out or has the has an impact and but but at the same time, Orban finds himself being, I mean, wholeheartedly attacked by the European Union and its nations over his policies in his nation. The big, the most recent one is that uh, on uh, uh, LBTG, LBT, lesbian and gay yeah, issues. So that's, he, actually, he, uh, that's actually ha- a good story, Ed. The, uh, so, so that's yeah.
2: with uh, a good tie-in for the Euro Cup, which uh, the Brits are about to win with uh, any luck on Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. What, what am I telling you? So it was a Hungary Germany that was playing that particular game. It was uh, I forget in which town in Germany it was, but basically the Hungarians said we're not going to the game if you light up the stadium in rainbow colors. And they put their foot down and they got the rainbow uh, show taken down, and that was the end of that. And of course huh. they got criticized a lot for that, but it was you know based in uh, whatever laws they have in Hungary and yada yada yada. And basically, you know, they won the argument. I don't, I don't, you know, they, they, you got to learn to take a win sometimes as well. But yeah, at the so end of the and the, my and
0: my point, that, that and my point
2: issue, uh, is yeah, my point is not really what it, what it's all about when you're talking about uh, stuff like China and whether or not they're uh, cooperating uh, with the uh, the, fifth, the Chinese fifth column or something, right?
0: Uh, yeah. So this is what I want to ask you. That, but as part of the dynamic too, uh Well, I'll say this and then I'll come back to it. Uh, the rest of the world, and when you see the, uh, the um, Belt and Road Initiative, it's it's China throwing money all over the world. And they're saying, you know, you need money. We'll give you money to countries that really need money. And then they take it and they obviously have a relationship in. I remember being over in Poland and the Poles were frustrated, and so were the Hungarians, as I read, over the fact that um, Nordstrom Two was going to go through, which would bypass their countries and get a pipeline to Germany. So Germany would benefit, and so would Russia, and, and it would leave them out. And they thought this was you know, really unfair and, and, and was disingenuous of German, as usual. And my point here is these nations, uh, at least they either need money or they think they need money. Is that what's behind this?
2: So the, the Greeks were the uh, the usual example, but the, the difference is, of course, that the Greeks were actually much broker, than the Hungarians are now. The Hungarians have actually been quite well governed uh, for this past 15 years or so when Orban has been in office. That's not so. My issue with Orban isn't uh, his his domestic policy. He's actually a, a conservative icon in a lot of ways, and I do go through mm-hmm. a bit of that in the piece. Uh, but mm-hmm. what? Uh, uh, and, I mean, I should uh, I should mention there have been more recent developments since that was published, so there is a whole mm-hmm. faction that shifted um, towards uh, a broad-based right-wing alliance of uh, European forces, which is something that Ted and I have been uh, advocating for uh, for a couple of years now. And it does include Orbán, so, you know, maybe he's listening and uh, finally... Uh, playing for the team adjusting. but uh, that vote yeah. uh, that vote against the sanctions in china is very worrying
0: is uh, and yet um aren't some of the nations in the eu uh sort of knee-deep in uh in the uh, the Chinese regime, also, I remember being in uh, Verona, Italy, I don't know, two and a half years ago for the uh, World Congress on the Family, and reading the headlines that uh, that that Italy had signed off on basically a their own version of uh, Chinese investment, communist regime investment uh, to build roads and all. I guess who's not in the tank for China? <laughs>
2: Uh, that, that is a that is the right question. Um the with the Italians I forget uh the, the specific case you're talking about, but the uh coronavirus, uh it must be remembered, came into Europe through Italy and a a, right. a large uh flux back and forth that uh Italy and China have going on, or at least they did before the pandemic. Uh so maybe that will make the Italians think a little harder about uh how they feel about the rest. But um, it, it is it is complicated, Ed. Because w- again, with the with this Hungarian vote, it's not the Hungarian interests specifically that are being defended here. Hungary has very very little to do with China economically. They're not really taking uh, uh, much of that money. They have some deal with a university or something, which is still suspicious. Right. But you know that mm-hmm. the, there are uh, countries that have sold half of the uh, well. I exaggerate, but they've sold large parts of land, which uh, is uh, puts their sovereignty into question in some in some ways. But uh, with the Hungarians, that's not what's going on. What's going on is you have big economic interests from the European side. So the the German motor industry is one that is always mentioned. Uh, the German power sector is worth mentioning since you brought up uh, Nord Stream two as well. Yeah, the that's those are the right. kind of pieces that. Uh, make up this puzzle in Europe in Brussels and so if you have to wield a vote like Hungary's in the European Council which is what was uh, going on in this particular vote um, there are ways to do that and we have to figure out a way to make sure that that kind of votes that obviously the White House be it Biden or Trump they're they're always you know that the American priority is clear that's why this topic is being broached uh, whether it's at NATO or in the uh, direct uh, summits that Blinken has had with the Europeans, uh, with, what is it, uh, von der Leyen and uh, and Michel. Uh, These Mm -hmm. are topics that have been brought up by the Americans because of the American national interest. And so when you see somebody like Hungary, which is supposed to be one of the most pro-American countries, you have to start asking some hard questions.
0: Yeah, and I I guess, um, so... Is your thought uh, so? It, it, is it money? I mean, is it is is it money or is it? Uh, I guess you're actually, and your piece does make this point again. Let me say, we're talking with Felipe Coelho who's a professor of public policy at the Pontifical University in Santo Domingo, longtime uh, policy um, uh, Aid to uh, President Trump and his campaign, and all. Um, is in this case, is so? If, if Hungary's not sort of taking the cash, it, 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 you're saying it's the influence. Or so, is it a bank shot? It's it's other forces that 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 uh, economic forces that want. Uh, to keep this open, is it even Felipe that these other nations have to sound like they're tough? I just looked up the article. Uh, it was May twenty third, twenty nineteen. Uh, then Premier uh, Giuseppe Conte with the President Xi Jinping signed a kind of memorandum. Well, there's a coverage of two years later. Everybody's upset about it, as you point out. Italy, Italy doesn't think as much of China. They're backing off of it. But a lot of people will say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm mad at China." It happens in America. And then the last thing they want is actual action against them because they like the markets and they like the action, right?
2: There is a lot of that going on. Uh, that's definitely the, the, a bigger part of the story when it comes to Iran. Uh, the Europeans are very keen to, uh, to get in on the Iranian market. Um, with China, there, it's, it's a little bit worse than that in the sense that, for example, Volkswagen has a big factory in Xinjiang where the uyghurs uh, are from and so when you're talking about establishing the precedent of sanctioning over human rights concerns uh what is it the the, the party boss of xinjiang province or whatever wh- whoever it was on that list uh you're you know the the next round of those sanctions are going to end up looking at european executives from the car industry and so I, you know i don't know how exactly i can pinpoint the uh, the circles of influence and uh, and uh pick out the names for you but, but uh, uh there's um there's something to be said for uh, uh non-monetary uh forms of influence i suppose uh, if we're being <laughs> yeah. optimistic about it that uh i i don't know uh, the lob- the big lobbying offices or somebody with uh with that sort of role hmm. of swing votes yeah. might have
0: yeah well it's a it's an important uh, i'm glad you wrote that piece it's an important topic and watching uh, europe struggle with it uh uh is um i think it's not we're not only seeing the beginning of it all right i've got to run unfortunately uh, felipe Coelho again a professor of, uh, pu- of public policy uh at pontifical yeah, university in santo domingo and, and uh, getter getter yes what's your handle
2: it's at F C U E L L O. my last name and my first initial,
0: F Coelho. F Coelho. Okay, very good. Thank you, sir. We'll talk again soon. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Georgia Superior Court Judge Brian Amaro ordered a forensic audit by independent experts of over 147,000 mail-in ballots counted in Fulton County, which includes Atlanta, in 2020. It's no wonder that an audit was called for. Several unusual data points indicate that further investigation is necessary. Shockingly, few of the mail-in ballots were rejected for invalid signatures, which is a common problem with mail-in ballots. And the overwhelming majority of those ballots were counted in favor of Joe Biden. Donald Trump's team sought to monitor the initial post-election sham review of the ballots in Fulton County, but anti-Trump officials blocked access by Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Review of illegitimate mail-in ballots should have been open not only to Meadows, but to the entire public. After all, Democrats ran up an implausible 244,000 vote margin for Biden in that county alone. Such a blatant disregard for election transparency is the number one indicator of election inconsistency election integrity is a matter of enormous public concern it should never be swept under the rug simply because the media declares one side of one this issue confounds the never trumpers who fail to support election audits like this one in georgia and the republican review of many arizona votes in maricopa county these election audits in georgia and arizona are an important part of restoring america's faith in our electoral system A recent Reuters-Ipsos poll demonstrates that most Republicans still view Donald Trump as the true winner of the presidential election. This independent poll confirms that 61% of Republicans feel that the last election was stolen, and the same number do not think that mail-in ballots are counted accurately. Only by having fair and open reviews can we hope to root out and address any possible problems with the systems in our various states. If an honest audit turns up no signs of foul play, that's all the better. However, every state should be open to an honest review of their electoral practices. We all need to be willing to improve the systems that secure the vote for every American, whether that means more transparency, photo ID, or more restrictions on mail-in voting. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Great to uh, be you. We're wrapping things up into the weekend. Hope everybody has a great weekend. A couple of things I get. Uh, many of you forward me articles. Sometimes you text me things. I, I, um, You can go to uh, ProAmericaReport.com and send a message through that website. That gets directly to my email address. Uh, you can also text me. There's a texting line set up 314-256-1776. 314-256-1776. Uh, a couple of people sent me some stuff. We were talking earlier in the week about Donald Trump's lawsuit. Leading a class action lawsuit against big tech. Um, and this morning, uh, Friday morning, crack of dawn, uh, uh, Joe Biden's office announced they're doing a sweeping executive order that is taking aims at co- uh, co- uh, concentrated markets. In other words, trying to say that big business has too much power with an executive order. Biden is directing the many agencies of his government, the executive branch, to find ways to uh, hold them uh, more accountable and make them more responsive to the people. Well, which is a nice idea. It sounds kind of populist. It's an idea that somebody in the White House must have thought up and it sounds good. But here's the thing. They, they're they're going to attempt to take on agriculture, airlines, broadband and banking. And all of them are fine. I mean, I, I think that I'm, I'm all for making it so not really for government doing this. I'm getting nervous about government, especially one branch doing it. But if the idea is to highlight where there's markets that are not operating very well, I'm for that. I'm not sure what they can do about it. Um, you know, there's a, a order out there that will also impact prescription drugs. I'm not sure you can do much about that by executive order. But here's the funny thing. When President Joe Biden, it's not funny, but well, this is the interesting thing. When he rolls this out and all the coverage, and I went to the White House website and I looked at it. There's not a word about big tech. I mean, is there a more dominant market than big tech, concentrated Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter? Is there anybody? Because it feels like the airlines, every time I've needed an airline that I wanted to go outside of the sort of uh, uh, the broken, you know, uh, old fashioned airlines, I I go to uh, I go over and and have a great time and find usually good rate, better rates at something like uh, Southwest Southwest. Or even one of the newer. So it doesn't feel like that market is um, quite as unresponsive. Now, maybe the airlines are unresponsive. That seems true to me. They they don't respond to a lot of, uh, of things. I'm not I'm not sort of um, I'm not speaking in favor of the airlines. Uh, but this Biden effort. And again, one of our, our listeners sent this to me earlier uh, uh, on Friday. Uh, I'm not sure that's as big a deal as is and hasn't gotten much coverage. So when someone said, isn't this good news? Maybe maybe here's another one though we're going to pick this up next week i am i'm so proud that many of the listeners have found it in their um in their um in their lives, I guess, and in their viewing habits, to go over to the Center for Immigration Studies and keep an eye on Todd Bensman. He's a frequent contributor on the show. And uh, he comes on and he is the, uh, I think his title is Senior um, Security Fellow. Let me get it right. Uh, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. And he has a piece, it's four parts, excuse me, it's three parts, uh, running on, on the last, in the last two or three days. And it's basically a follow-up to his book, and his book was published about a year ago. That book is called America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. Now, that was a broad uh, book. What he's writing about in these, three, in these three parts of this report... Excuse me, it is four parts. I'm sorry. I thought it was. I was only seeing links to three on my notes. Four parts. And uh, he's basically reporting how the people coming across the border... They're not even just uh, sex traffickers. They're not even just victims of sex trafficking. They're not even drug dealers only. We have national security, really, really bad guys. And he's reporting on that firsthand. And he's saying, look, here's bad guys that are there five. There were five men that were detained from a Muslim majority country, Mauritania. They were trying to get into the United States through the Poros border. And these were bad guys that we were not vetting because they were just we we're just saying well if people are here and they look like they're migrants they want to seek asylum well we'll have to just let them we'll, we'll figure it out as we go and jo- and Todd, uh, Todd Bensman has been making this point for a couple of years now and it's a very good one and I'm glad to see it. one of our viewer one of our listeners sent that to me and said here's Todd Bensman our guy and uh, exactly right exactly right and and you know um, that issue is it's just not going away i mean this is um, this issue is going to play out, I, I believe, in the next few years, immigration issue and illegal immigration and the, the border. It's going to play out in ways that you don't see. Yes, the volume of them is straining our system, uh, but also the point that Todd's Benzman, Todd Todd is making about the impact um, of, uh, on us for national security. So watch that. All right, we got to run. Everybody, have a great weekend. Let me say uh, thank you. Noah Dingley's out. Uh, Christian is in as our producer. Thank you, Chris, for keeping us on track. Joanna, for booking our guests. And you all for listening. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com to find out more and some of these great interviews. And we'll be back on Monday. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Talk to you then.